0: I uh want you to switch over to what we're talking about. There we go. I uh, apologize for being tucked in a corner here, but you need to see the screen, and uh, I needed to set up my computer, so here we are. Uh, glad to be here. This is Boulevard Bible Chapel. Uh, you don't know, but this is our Florida home church. I mean, I say that because Jane was baptized here. Two Bernie elders held her in the rough ocean uh, few years ago when we first got married, and uh, that made it our home church. I'm glad to be here. There's something special about Boulevard, there's a lot special, but there's one personal thing that's special. Sixteen years ago, I was coming here to a youth meeting in the days when I used to blow things up, and I got an unexpected phone call to say my first granddaughter had just been born. So these poor kids had to put up with me jumping up and down for ten minutes, telling them about the granddaughter. And I've got to tell you, yesterday I got a call. My first great grandchild showed up—a leap year baby—and every time I—I I came, and I, they're all boys except this one girl that was born sixteen years ago when I was coming to Boulevard. Now a great granddaughter born I'm coming to boulevard so I'm going to say to the family anytime you want to go I'll go to boulevard <laughs> <laughs> you know my family they go you know these big events have to say where's dad a.k.a granddad now a.k.a great granddad because we've got a birth coming they say oh he's probably a boulevard <laughs> so there we are so they, they, they want to echo that song, you know, come home. <laughs> but I will be home, we're leaving actually tomorrow morning. And uh, we got a lot of packing to do, but how, what a great end to my Florida tour. Boulevard Bible Chapel, cause this is a, place where you really feel some vibrancy and energy and uh, the presence of the Lord. Now, you've given me a job to do, and I was told you can preach so quarter past. I won't go that long, but it's great. I'm saying that for Jane's benefit, because at 12, I get, you know, (laughs) got to watch it. So, look, today, this morning, we're thinking about one of the, I think it's one of the most gripping Stories in Scripture. Arguably, I would say this is one of the best short stories ever written. I mean, it's a moving family story. I've been thinking about family, I was talking about it. Uh, But I identify with this story for an unusual reason. Because I grew up in a two-boy family. I had one brother four years older than me. And I want to admit, this morning, you you have a sinner preaching, just make that clear. I have to admit, my brother was a diligent one. He was always helping, just like the elder brother in this story, in today's story, and I was fooling around with my friends. I want to tell you one incident, because I grew up in England. I don't know whether you need to dim the lights a little bit, but there's an English bus. uh, Because I got to tell you... Uh, when I read this story my mind went back to this I was only 12 I want to excuse myself I was only 12 and my brother was 16 Uh, and it turned out there was a problem with the family car and uh, so my dad who was an elder in a church like this he took this double decker bus to the prayer meeting Quite a distance away. I had no idea this was going on. I was out with my friends, fooling around, and uh, we had a game we used to play. I, I've never admitted this in public before, but hey, this is Boulevard, I'm going to tell you. We had this game where. This little gang of boys used to jump on the platform of that bus as it moved from the bus stop, and the game was to hang onto that yellow rail, the the bar, and go round and round and sing a song, a funny little song, and the idea was could you stay on long enough as it gathered speed to jump off at the end of the song. Mm. So I did this. I got. I jumped on a bus and I was swinging and I was singing. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. Fuzzy Wuzzy had no hair. Fuzzy Wuzzy didn't care. Fuzzy Wuzzy was a bear. And I had to get to that last line and jump off, and I did it. And the bus was moving, and I stood there feeling proud of myself. And I looked to my horror. A figure appeared on the platform, doing this. It was my dad. Who would have thought he'd be on that bus? I got to tell you, I went home, I went to bed early, my mother couldn't understand, I was real slow getting down for breakfast, it was not pleasant when I came down explaining what had happened, now that's my confession, Joe. Well, forget that, I just want to tell you, I identify with fathers and brothers and family situations, and I got to tell you, I'm the younger brother, But let's get serious. I want to explain this the context of this story more seriously. It's always important, if you're trying to understand Scripture, and our brother showed that this morning, to to consider the context, and especially in a parable, to think of the makeup of the original audience that listened to, to the story. So the wider context, you see, Luke didn't write chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter, at the head, he just wrote the, the text. And the wider context actually goes back to Luke 13. In Luke 13, we read Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, and someone asked him, Lord, are there only a few people going to be saved? Now, isn't that an interesting question? Especially today, because I talk to neighbors and friends, they just assume that all decent, well-meaning people will eventually be saved. I mean, it's kind of a universalism. But Jesus, in response to this question, he began to teach them about a broad road with a lot of people on it, leads to destruction and, and a narrow gate that few find, but it leads to life. And you can read all about that from Luke 13 on. He even began to talk about a feast, uh, which some people couldn't get in because he said, Lord, Lord, I did this, that, and the other. And he said, I don't know you. So he made it clear that, that, that no, no, not everyone will be saved. And I'll tell you what he would really like later, but... But but then he moved to these parables and you've been studying Luke fifteen wonderful stories great parts about lost things being found and the climax in my view is this story this morning about a lost boy who was welcomed back home by a, a loving father. So that's the wider context. A wider context is the question who gets saved and enters heaven. And we always need to answer that. But the immediate context, right at the beginning of Luke 15, is now tax collectors and sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, and he told this parable. Now that's the context. Uh, it informs us that two groups, there was... Uh, the, the, the tax collectors and sinners were one group and the Pharisees and scribes listening to Christ were the other group and verse 3 said he was speaking to them now you remember that because the immediate context is, is the fate of these two types of people listening to Jesus because Jesus wanted them to see themselves in this story they had to think am I like, like that? and he wants you to see yourself in this story you got to try to get yourself in the story before you finish, because that's what the Lord wants. Now, it's, it's very clear what the characters in this story represent. That younger brother that I identify with represents the tax collectors and the sinners. The sinners, guys like me. The older brother represents those Pharisees and scribes. And the father, well, that clearly represents God. I mean, it's just a wonderful, moving picture of God's heart. If you want to know what God wants, if you want to know his attitude to sinners, it's in this story. The father represents God. So let's go through it. We're going to just go to each character, the younger brother, the father, and the elder brother. And we'll talk about the younger son first that represents Sinners. You know, this younger brother's departure from the family home was clearly the action of a of a, just an impatient young man. He couldn't wait to get free of accountability to his father. He didn't want any of this business that I had to face. He wanted to. He wanted to get everything that was coming to him, and uh, he wanted to get it uh, uh, immediately, even. However difficult it was, however inconvenient for the father, he didn't mind, he said, give it to me, give me. That was his prayer. Because he was determined to get away from home and uh, just take all he could, and he, he wanted to get as far as possible away from home, he wanted freedom and independence. Uh, now, you know, I've got to tell you, I hope Jane doesn't mind me mentioning this, but, but Jane and I can identify with this story I identify because of the way I grew up. But, but you know, as that father, feeling the, the, the moment, as that father faces the loss of his son, we feel for him. Jane and I, Jane had a grandson who did this. He went to the West Coast. I mention it because some of you prayed for him. And we still pray for him. He's still lost. And we pray for him every day. So we, you know, the tragic loss of that boy helps us to understand the heart, feel the father's pain when the son leaves. And actually this younger son's departure, it presents a graphic picture of the way some people are just determined to turn their back on God, totally reject. I mean, God offers to guide and help us and plan our lives, just reject that. I mean, it's a classic example of a very famous verse in Proverbs, Think about there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. It's an example of that. Because the reality is, look, you can't reject God. You can't flout his road for a living. You can't reject his love and expect to live a life of joy and purpose and satisfaction. It doesn't happen. What happened to, to this younger brother is just a classic example of someone who went his own way and he had to just sink to the bottom where he really knew nobody, where he possessed little, where he was utterly helpless. And God allowed that. But you see, God does allow things to come into our lives, sort of will come to our senses and re- realize the fog of our ways. That's what happened. This boy was totally humiliated. I mean, he, think about it. He was doing the worst job a Jewish boy could ever do. He was feeding pigs, and he got so hungry, he, he was considering trying to eat the pigs well. I mean, he was down there. And that's when he thought about father that happens to some people. You know, I talk to a lot of middle class people. I live in a nice place and hang around with retired professors like me and, and, and these people have steady incomes. They have good families. They don't seem to have any health problems. And they reject God's call in their lives. And, and I, I, I talk about Jesus being a savior and they say, well, what do I need a savior? I'm, I'm doing very well. Everything's fine. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. i got to say, sometimes in order to feel the need of God, we have to experience the emptiness that, that can come into our lives when affliction descends us. People say, why would God allow affliction to come? It, it, it was certainly in this case affliction and loneliness and hunger and despair that drove this young man to rethink his position and recognize It was such a blessing, actually, to live in the family home back with my dad. And it is a blessing. Let me tell you, this morning, if you're reconciled, and most of the if you're Christian believers, you're reconciled to God, you're God's love child, don't forget it's the biggest blessing you could ever receive. I, I mean, I hope you thank him for it every day. Don't be careless about it. Every day say, Lord, that I'm reconciled with you, that I'm your child. This is fantastic. Thank him every day. You see, this younger brother... Well, it's like many people that reject God. He, he needed to be arrested in some way, and it was in his case awful circumstances that made him see the need, of the blessing that was available. I don't want that to happen to you, but I do pray you all find God. You know, it is true that trouble sometimes It's a good thing. I experienced it in a very small way. This is a minor story, and I've been coming here for 20 years, so you've probably heard all my life stories, but when I retired early from university teaching to go full-time into a Bible teaching ministry, I met a very apparently enthusiastic Christian. He was a smooth-talking man. He claimed to be a believer. He always stressed he would be praying for my ministry. He went to a well-known evangelical church. And he scammed me of my life savings. And i just retired. And he persuaded me to invest what I had with him. And it turned out to be a fraudulent investment. Now, I've got to tell you something. Losing my life savings turned out to be the one thing that caused me to fully trust God in a way I, I really hadn't needed to. I mean, I had a good salary, regular income. I was healthy, but no problems in life. And I said, oh, I'm trusting the Lord. Now suddenly, are we going to have to sell a house within him? What are we going to do? We can trust God, and we did, and of course God never lets us down. This is not an appeal for money, I'm fine. Okay, <laughs> but listen, remember that. God's sovereign. In the case of the younger brother in this story, what happened? Well, it's the sowing and reaping principle. We do reap what we sow. That always happens. This young man reaped the full harvest, the fruit of his wanton and reckless behavior, and at last he realizes, oh man, even the lowest paid workers in my dad's place, they've got employment and they're in a much better position than me. You know, we see he left his father's home, but remember he never left the father's house. That That's central to this story. I mean, one of the questions, I think I put it as a suggested question tonight. I'm sorry I can't be with you tonight. We're leaving early in the morning. We've got piles of packing and stuff. I've got to do everything. But but I hope you'll think about this. I mean, did the father care if the boy only came back to get food? That's a challenge. But remember this. You, you can run away from God or try to but you can never hide from his unconditional love and that's central in this story so this boy prepares his speech of repentance he's hungry, he's humbled and he's apprehensive but he struggles home and that's where the heart of the story is this part of the story actually I was looking forward to preaching because it made me cry you know Jane has a Salvation Army background and one of the things she said to me was when one Salvation Army officer was struggling in his ministry and getting nowhere. He appealed to the founder, General Buddha, and said, what am I gonna do? And he replied with only two words. He says, try tears. Try tears. Because they so are moved. And I read this story and I think, man, <laughs> you know, you gotta cry. The Father's response is one of the most moving, eye-opening accounts in all of Scripture uh, that shows God's attitude to returning sinners. I mean, it reveals in a wonderful way the desire of God, the heart of God. If you want to see the heart of God, you'll get it in this story. I hope you know what God's like. There's so much in the Bible that tells you, Of course, he's like what Jesus showed us. But way back in the Old Testament, um, where am I going here? Way back in the Old Testament, this little verse in Ezekiel is so important. God says, As I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from their way and live, he says, Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. That's God's appeal. That's exactly what this boy did. There's so much of this in the Old Testament. I mean God doesn't arm twist He's given us freedom, but he waits to us. We have to respond to His love and He's waiting for that. One of the little clues to His heart is Again in the Old Testament, I love this verse. Isaiah 30, verse 18. Listen, this is God. Yet the Lord longs. He longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. Isn't that the father in this story? Man, how close it is. Verse 20 says that when he was a long way off, the father spotted him limping along the boat, I mean, why did he see him so far in the distance? Because every day he was watching, he was hoping for his return. And the father, he spent a lot of time on the porch looking out. And the moment he saw him, and just like this verse, this is God. The moment he saw him, compassion swelled up in his heart and he responded immediately. Now you've got to remember in that culture all the guys I like me didn't run. I mean it was shameful. It was a, a grown man doing running. But he ran. Yeah. You know, you might have thought that he just waiting dignity, ready to remind this boy, when he gets here, I'm gonna remind him of his actions. I'm gonna warn him that this reckless behavior was would always have serious and unpleasant consequences and i mean that's what most fathers would do right in fact that's exactly what my father did when when i made that foolish thing with the bus in fact i've not been a perfect father i got a son who i love and i always try and help when he was away from things and away from the lord as a teenager he went downtown and of course we didn't go to sleep till he come in it was after midnight the boy wasn't home and uh, Vivian was tossing and turning, and then the phone goes. Grab the phone. It's my boy, teenage boy. He says, uh, "Dad, uh, I've been beaten up downtown." Now, of course, I went and don't don't think, but you know, I gotta tell you this. is This is my confession, Sunday. I, I don't know why I'm coming across as such a bad lad, but there you go. I just spent seven hundred and fifty dollars on a special pair of glasses for him. You know my first question he said i've been beaten up i said are your glasses broken (laughs) i can't believe it we still talk about that i I did apologize i did help him and i love the boy don't get me wrong but this, this this is a response that's so different i mean he didn't wait around he didn't worry about throwing dignity aside the father just ran to him he embraced him he just ignored that dirt and the smell and he didn't care what anyone I think he kissed him and he received him with joy. I mean he, he was just delighted the boy was home. And what you see illustrated here is so important. You see illustrated the statement that sinners coming home and it concludes the parable of the lost coin. You must have done this. At the end of that Earlier parable on last call, it said, in verse 10, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And you see that here. I mean, this boy couldn't finish his story. He had it all rehearsed. Uh, but one thing I want you to notice about what the boy said, uh, it's, it's actually a real challenge for us as mature Christians. The returning son's change of heart is seen in what is really a great example for us about a maturity in prayer you think about this when the boy left, his plea to the father was, give me, give me give me like my prayer sometimes, "Oh, give me Praying for my blessing but when he came back he says father make me, make me he was willing to be a servant it's not a lesson for us your, is your prayer all oh, give me, give me, or is it sometimes, Lord, make me, let me serve you? So that's how the boy had changed. No question about the fantastic change in this boy. Uh, and this boy's welcome. It's just a picture of the way God responds to every returning sinner. The Father's response it shows His unconditional acceptance. And that's how God is. You know how God treats people who come back to Him? Maybe maybe you're away from. a believer is wandering. God treats people who return to Him, confess sin, He forgets. He treats them as if they'd never been away. I mean, he interrupted the speech. He just said, "Hey, listen, get a new robe." He wanted to show his status. He said, "Son, he said, "Bring the ring, a symbol of authority. Get those sandals." So he can walk in dignity. A symbol of acceptance. You know, I thought of it this morning. We sat at the Lord's table here at the communion, those of you at the first service. We didn't sing this song, but I thought about it because I was thinking of the robe on this boy. And there's in the black book there's a hymn that says, Clothed in garments of salvation. At our table. At your table, rather, is Our place. Our place at God's table. It's not really our place except He took our place. I I thought of that song and I thought of this story and I just wanted to praise God. And and the Father's so excited. He says, we're going to have a feast. Um, This is something to celebrate. It's a wonderful thing. A lost sinner's come home. it's just a picture of how we experience God's blessing. I mean, God is both generous and we don't deserve it. But when we turn to him for salvation, that's how he responds. I mean, don't forget, he gave his beloved son, the Lord Jesus, and he willingly died in order to welcome us, actually, to a feast. I mean, the great marriage supper of the Lamb... And it's the death of Christ on a cross that makes that possible. So don't ever doubt what God wants. You know, it's very interesting, actually, as I mentioned what Jesus has done. Uh, when Jesus tells this parable, of course, he's not talking about what he'd come to do or how he'd come to reveal God. What he's talking about is, is, is the Father's heart. He's trying to tell people what God's like. But let me tell you. Let me do some comparison. He's not talking here, I should have shown that side about what he came for, how he fully reveals God's unconditional love. But it is central to the gospel. Let me illustrate it here. See, the father in this story spent his wealth for that wasteful son. He had to sell land, give him his inheritance. But 2 Corinthians 8 9 says about the Lord Jesus, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. Listen, Jesus left the riches and the glory and the splendour of heaven. He was at home with his Father. We had it already this morning in the first service. And he came to a dark and dank stable, and he was raised by a poor family. And when he was an adult, he well, it said at times he didn't even have a place to lay his head. I mean, we we sometimes forget the magnitude of what Jesus did. I mean, remember who Jesus is. Colossians said. For everything is for him. He made everything. For whom are all things? By whom are all things? He abandoned his reputation. He allowed himself to be spit upon and mocked and abused by sinners. And it's just a reach and save us. I mean, it's this. Don't take it for granted because like both boys in this story, we were lost. You've got to remember... Jesus did say why he came. In fact, there's another little encounter, just a couple of chapters down in Luke 19. Another tax collector, another sinner, Zacchaeus. Short guy like me. Jesus said, when he came to Christ, he said, Look, I have come. Why have I come? To seek and save those who are lost. That's his mission. Jesus, our Lord, he gave everything for the lost. I mean, he gave everything. I mean, he gave everything because he gave himself. What does scripture say? He himself. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I mean, that's the Christian gospel. That's astounding message. That's what's so special about the Christian gospel. Because the Lord Jesus showed unbounded, unconditional love. He gave everything. And he gave it to make it possible for you to come home. And be reconciled with the Heavenly Father. I mean, that is wonderful. You just you, you get so familiar. That's why that hymn was so appropriate. You just come home, because that's what God wants. You know, I didn't know what to put at the end of that. I thought I should put "Amen" or "Hallelujah," and I th- I know I just put "Wow, <laughs> wow." I mean, take that statement and say "Wow." And then contrast with this elder brother. I gotta, glad you said 1215 because I gotta tell you about the elder brother who represents the religious legalists and the Pharisees. See, the attitude of the Pharisees in this story, um, about the father who took that repentant son into his arms, it's, their attitude is reflected in the response of this elder brother. He was out in the field, he was doing his work as he always did, seemed a good boy, here's the music. He said to the servant, hey, what's going on? And the servant's so excited and delighted. He said, well, it's terrific news. He said, there's a party going on because your brother's come back. And then he had the surprise of his life. The elder brothers just got angry and refused to go in. And, and, and notice a little detail, he sent a servant in, he didn't go himself, but as you read the story, it was a father, he didn't send a servant, the father came out. And he talked to him about coming into the banquet. And the father talks to him in an endearing tone, he reminds us son, look, he said, you don't have to be like this, You you have access to everything I own. Oh it's such a clear picture of the way God seeks us. You know both his sons were lost but they were equally loved. They were lost in different ways but they were loved equally. But this eldest son had really no love for his father. He saw himself as undeserving. He completely missed the fact that he too needed the father's grace and love, and people can do that. We talk about grace and love, and they think, well, I'm okay, I'm working hard. This elder brother couldn't see that his father, he wasn't rewarding this younger brother with a party, he was just welcoming him home, and the, and the elder brother wasn't prepared to do that. He just wanted, he said, I want a party with my friends, you never gave me a party. He's more interested in that than loving his father. No, no relationship in fact it's Luke fifteen twenty eight says the older brother became angry he refused to go in and this is what I love the father went out that's what Jesus did he came to us and he pleaded with him can, can, you, can you get this sense of, of love oh, he's reaching out to both boys I, I just want you to get this sense there's a the father look come in and, and this is unresponsive boy. In fact, this boy wouldn't even recognise his, his returning prodigal as his brother. He said, "That son of yours." He didn't say my brother. In fact, he th- fills in details that aren't in the text. He said he went with prostitutes, and he, the text never said he did that. He did waste his money. But in the end, look, he tragically. This elder brother missed the banquet. He refused the father's offer. He stubbornly insisted, "Look, I deserve everything that's coming to me." And people do that. Oh, I hope you're not thinking you deserve heaven, man. It's you can be religious, but you can have no relationship with the Lord, and that's what counts. What's your relationship with Jesus like? You know, there are a lot of stories. And they all link together in just a previous chapter. There's a parable about the wise and foolish bridesmaids. And Jesus talked about the same thing in Matthew 25. And he said, look, there'll be a lot of people set in several places who claim that they've done a lot in my name. Very religious folks. And I'll have to say, depart from me. Why? I didn't know you. You see, it wasn't a relationship. They did all this stuff, but it didn't know them. So that's why i got to get back to the context. Who will be saved? That was the basic question that got us into this parable. And I want you to be clear. Look, there is a feast for every believer. Wonderful feast to celebrate the marriage supper of the Lamb when Jesus celebrates with his church. And I want you to be clear who will be there. It will be sinners like this preacher and you who repent. Not religious people who claim they, I deserve to enter. I've done so much stuff, Lord. All this stuff. Look what I did. We've got to be absolutely clear. You see, it's all about God's love. I love 1 John 3, 1. It says, behold what manner of love the Father's bestowed on us. Should we shall be called what? children of god you see well, his children he welcomes us back you see in the end it's all about knowing god and knowing god in an intimate relationship where we talk it's about mutual love the bible said our relationship with god is like that of a father and a child what a perfect father not like me or some of the failures I could talk about, because our loving Heavenly Father, we had it in the first service, faithfulness. Wasn't that wonderful? He's faithful to His children. God is faithful even when we're not. Remember that. What a blessing that is. <laughs> How unfaithful we can be. So what does He want? And let's, let's get this as we conclude this one. What does God really want? Bible's clear. Two Timothy, two boy. He desires all people to be saved. We had it in the Old Testament. He said, I'd have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants us to come to a knowledge of the truth and the truth in Jesus, the truth in his word. We live in a day of false news and, and falsehood, but this is the truth. And he said, what I want is... To know you in a personal relationship. That's what the story in Luke 13 is about. We don't have time to develop that. But he said in these chapters in Luke, you're blessed to eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. He wants us at the feast. He wants us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So who will be saved? Who will enjoy it? The great banquet? Well, anyone and everyone who repents and responds. In fact, in Luke 14, Jesus said, the people who get in them, they're not the rich guys who have got it all together these middle class folks I'm doing a great job think what I've done no it's the poor it's the blind it's the lame who missed the great banquet the marriage shop of the lamb those who refuse that's all it boils down to those who refuse the invitation the elder brothers and the invitation's there this is how the Bible finishes. Sometimes we get bogged down with a verse and forget the big picture. The Bible starts with our rebellion and fall in Genesis and it finishes in Revelation with God saying, look, I sent Jesus to die and the invitation's issued. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, come. The Im- Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let, look what is this? Everyone who wishes—that's but do you wish? Do you want take the free gift of the water of life? You can't miss it. Oh yes, you sung that hymn, and I'm going to play it. I hope this works. We sung "How Deep the Father's Love for Us." What a nice choice! How kind, beyond our measure, because that's what the story's about the deep love of the Father I've just got a verse of it here it may play Let's how deep the Father's love for us how vast beyond our measure that he should give his only son oh, to make a wretched treasure His face away, has which Bring many sons to glory. Many sons to glory. This is a story. You've got to realize that God, the Father, is like the Father in this parable. And he's like that towards his beloved son, Jesus. You think of Jesus, the beloved Son of God, and you think silently. Then, just think about this: the words of this song. We heard it, we sang it. How great the pain of searing loss! The Father turns His face away, as wounds which mark the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Can you imagine? Oh God. Love's like this God turned his face from his son. Can you imagine Jesus had to cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew it was love for you. I mean it's astounding. How can we how can we not? Just turn to the Lord this morning and and just know him and say this is all I want you to do in your heart make your own friend just say thank you Lord thank you I'll give you a moment to do that as we conclude this morning and listen I just want to say this because there's always a sneaking feeling I have that someone's still relying on good works and what they can do I want to ask you a question What good things did the dying thief do to justify being saved? Zippo, nothing. He could do nothing and he needed to do nothing because he recognised who Jesus was. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me. That's all you have to do. Have mercy and then thank him. Father, we thank you for the joy of being at the banquet. We look forward to it as believers in the best robe. The the garments of salvation accepted and forgiven and cleansed. Oh, cleansed of all unrighteousness. Lord, you're so gracious. And we want to thank you. And we want to pray, Lord. And we do pray that there will be nobody leaving this place relying on what they could do. But all of us were really saying, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And we thank you, you always respond to that prayer. There's a Pharisee in the temple who told you what a good guy he was and you heard nothing of that. And then there was a poor tax collector sinner slunk in the back of the temple and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, and you? You say in your word, he went away justified. May we all join him as we thank you and ask for your mercy in the name of the Lord Jesus.